When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Ken, I was just thinking and wanted to get your opinion on something. What are you, What is your idea or your thoughts on other authors writing Game of Thrones books? Not necessarily A Song of Ice and Fire because those stories are eventually going to end, but other stories within the world. Um, we obviously see how Star Wars had so many different authors uh, write for the expanded universe and now with canon. There's so many different stories to be told. I could say the same thing with Westeros. There's so much history and there's so many things that can go on beyond the stories we're being told now that there's a lot of different stories that could be told and George isn't going to last forever and he's a one, he can't do it by himself. Will there ever be other authors that will write stories for a Game of Thrones? We start the broadcast day here on Daily Thrones, which is a quick look at the world of ice and fire, but you know that with a great call from Jeff asking about potential other authors telling stories within the world of ice and fire or maybe even these stories meaning let's think not try to think negatively but what if george doesn't survive to the end of this story that happened with the wheel of time series if you're familiar with that so it's not out of the realm of possibility i'm also a big fan of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy unfortunately douglas adams passed away and had been working on some new hitchhiker's material and that was eventually released and then there was uh, another author very successful author british author brought in to write a six hitchhikers book so we've also touched upon this a little bit here in daily thrones talking about maybe an anthology series much like star wars has their from a certain point of view book out 40 stories 40 authors um, could this happen in Game of Thrones? I think I would be very much open to it if it was side stories. I mean, that's kind of what's going on in TV. So it's not, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that we would like new stories told by different authors. I think it'd be easier to digest if we felt it was a little bit more on the sidelines and not affecting the main story. So let's just say for some reason George got busy and said, I'm, I'm finishing the sixth book. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and release the seventh as well, and another author's working on it. Even with George Guide and George's guidance, that I, that would have a different feel to it, and it just would uh, not be something I'd be on board with, uh, unless it had to happen that way again with uh, maybe an unfortunate passing or something like that. Now again, let's not think those negative thoughts, but it could happen. And going to the Hitchhiker's book, the six Hitchhiker's book, it just didn't have it. It was a noble effort. It just, it just, you, you couldn't really capture what Douglas Adams did. It might have been better left alone. I finished the book. I got through it. I don't even fault the author. It was an improbable task, but it just didn't work. It felt different. So that's a little bit more about style and the story. George R. R. Martin definitely has story down. His style is distinctive, but it's also more of a style of it's so rich and thick with lore and, and side stories and, and descriptions of food that maybe someone else could come in and copy that style. But to an anthology series, 
side stories, I think, to my original point, I think we could accept it easier. If while we're waiting for the sixth book and the seventh book and waiting for all this to finish up, you get a side story of the history of the Dance of Dragons or maybe a detailed retelling of, uh, you know, Robert's Rebellion, which is not something we're going to need. George is going to cover that a lot in his books, but you know what I mean. Then I think would be easier for us as fans to accept it. That's why I think maybe you start with an anthology series of short stories from characters and their point of view within the land of Ice and Fire, within the lands of Westeros and Essos. I think that would be an easier sell. So... Here's to George's health, here's to those books getting done, and here's to us maybe be open to having new voices tell our favorite stories. Hey Ken, it's Vic. Simple but difficult question. What do you feel like is the main theme of Game of Thrones? As we get closer to the end, I've been thinking about what the main message that Dan and Dave, the showrunners, want to leave us with when it's all said and done. Uh, Thinking back on some of my past favorite TV shows, Breaking Bad felt like a story about how greed leads to corruption. The Sopranos felt like a show about leadership inside of a family. So do you think that Game of Thrones has a main theme, or is it just an amazing, wondrous story taking place in this uh, fantasy world. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for taking my question. Vic has got a great question. It's a question for the ages. What is the theme of A Song of Ice and Fire? I always believe that George has a special place for those underdogs, the broken bastards of the world, the cripples, the ones not given the full chance, the ones fighting for every chance they have. That is what I believe Game of Thrones is at in its core. Tyrion, Jon Snow even, Bran, Arya, Sansa. It's weird to say because the Starks have a lot of power and privilege, but they are immediately put into a bad situation. Arya is immediately on her own where that name Stark helps only a few times. In fact, she has to get rid of that name. Sansa, though, with all the power and privilege, she's a woman in a world dominated by horrible men, and you see what she goes through. She becomes an underdog. Jon Snow was born without name and title. Powerful in this land. He's an underdog. He must come from behind in a way to earn his position in power. Along the way, he learned some valuable lessons, And we learn that the wildings, those enemies north of the wall, the ones we're not supposed to like because they're, well, bad. Now they were just born on the wrong side of that wall. They're free folk making their own choices. Some of them want to get to safety. Jon Snow learns that lesson for all of us. Tyrion Lannister, definitely born with power and privilege. But he's afflicted in the eyes of everyone, including his own father. Even Cersei Lannister, now I'm not going to call her an underdog, but as a mother and a woman in this world, she has to come from behind from a lot of things to earn where she gets. It's all about the handmaids, it's all about the slaves over in Essos and what Daenerys Targaryen does, one who has probably the best position and power until we learn about Jon Snow. Daenerys Targaryen has the bloodline, but she doesn't have it. 
and she could easily grab her dragons, pay for an army, march west to claim her power position. But no, she realizes a lesson too. She has a power to help. She's going to risk all to do it. She has to learn different cultures. She has to learn different ways. She fails along the way. She succeeds in many more ways. So even Daenerys Targaryen is one of those underdogs from away. This is, I like the idea you sometimes hear that Game of Thrones is written from the point of the lowborn, of the second-class citizens of Westeros. And this might eventually be the story of them taking over power from those above them. I don't necessarily think that's how it ends up. The Night King comes down and kind of spoils some of that talk. But I still think that George R. R. Martin has a special place for those people. If George R. R. Martin is Samuel Tarley, even Samuel Tarley was kicked out of his power and privilege. Has none of it anymore. Is weak in a world where you need to be physically strong, even mentally strong, of course, but but physically strong goes a long way, especially when you're north of the wall and Sam doesn't have that. He has to learn. He's an underdog. And we root for these characters. We're not supposed to root for Jamie Lannister. We're not supposed to root for Robert Baratheon and Stannis Baratheon. Now they become our favorite characters along the way. Uh, there's some complicated things on these themes for sure. But I still think at the end of the day, it comes down to George rooting from the underdog. What do you guys think? What are some of the themes of Game of Thrones that you would consider the main, three, main theme? Or what are the themes that build up to the main theme? Let me know. Call on here to Daily Thrones. I want to hear your voice. What is the main theme of Game of Thrones? I'm Ken Napsuck, and this is Daily Thrones. A quick look at the world of ice and fire. And let's take a moment to congratulate Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas. Oh, he of the Jonas Brothers for their announcement. They announced their engagement today on Instagram, and that's exciting stuff. And I thought it was a good time to pay uh, pay our respects to Sophie Turner as a performer here on Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is such a big show. It's built on so many things. It's the storylines. It's the special effects. It's the epic high fantasy. It's the dark, gritty violence, the sex, let's say that, and the politics and the intrigue. It's also the acting, and that is often built on the backs of smaller characters and smaller roles supporting the bigger roles. And I think the bigger leads sometimes don't get the credit they deserve, and some of them started off maybe young. Sophie Turner is one of those, and they've grown as performers in front of us. Um, I said before during the season that Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark haven't been called – the best actors of the show. That falls on, again, these Charles Dances, these Lena Headies, these Peter Dinklage's types, these veteran actors. But so much is on the shoulders of Kit and Amelia, and season seven proved they can carry it. Well, Sophie Turner is someone who started so, so young, 12 or 13, around the time that the original pilot was filmed, with some of the scenes, especially the banquet at Winterfell when Robert Baratheon is there, her conversation with, with Cersei. Uh, the shots of Sophie Turner from the original pilot. She was actually speaking to different uh, actor as Catelyn Stark, I believe, if my memory serves. So from that moment, a young girl growing up in front of us, she has really, really become Sansa Stark, and it is so of her. And I don't think we give Sophie Turner enough credit for growing with that role, making us think about Sansa Stark along the way in ways that we didn't originally 
think of her. We, she was not liked early on, the character. And much like as we see with Joffrey and poor Jack Gleason, that can sometimes transform uh, and, and transfer, I should say, to the actor. And uh, I, I, when she started to branch out in other things, I heard something. Ah, I don't really like Sophie Turner. Ah, I don't like Santa Stark. Different people, of course. One completely fictional. But Sophie Turner has become Sansa Stark, and much like, say, Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia. And I'm not putting her in that category yet. That's a long road. But Carrie Fisher was Princess Leia, and therefore let herself as a performer inform the character. And, the, and that still today is felt. I think Sophie Turner, you see her uh, at panels, and she is that fiery Stark daughter. And it, she is allowed to by the producers to inform the character, I think. And I think as Sansa has grown and found her place so in a tough world, so has Sophie Turner in a tough world. And I'm happy to see her find happiness. They're young and in love. You got to give them some credit. And maybe we'll have that double wedding. Kit and Rose Leslie, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas. Maybe season eight will be delayed even more. So, hey, Sophie, good job. Congratulations. Glad you're happy. Now, let's take some calls about your thoughts on the themes of Game of Thrones. We had a great question yesterday about this from Sir Thomas Tall. I put my thoughts out there. It's about George R. R. Martin and the underdogs. What do you guys think? You guys got some great thoughts on it. See you on the other side. Hey, Ken, I really, I do agree with what you said about the underdogs. I 100% agree that that's definitely a th one of the main themes, maybe the main theme of Game of Thrones, underdogs. I'm glad you did bring up Stannis because, in my opinion, he was also an underdog, not being appreciated by both of his siblings. You know, he did what Robert wanted. He held Storm's End. He destroyed the Greyjoy fleet. And did Robert appreciate that anything he did? Nope. But, anyway, I think another theme, though, for Game of Thrones is... Always, you know, doing the honorable thing or doing the noble thing isn't always the right thing to do, as we've seen situations where that has happened and it hasn't worked out for the people who do it, like Ned Stark, uh, like like Rob Stark, who was following his heart. In the end, yes, they were noble, but in the end, they made bad decisions. So I would say a theme is definitely doing what is right is not always right. Again, Kevin Ross. Uh, it's not just the underdogs and the powerless. George R. R. Martin has done a fantastic job in showing us what the day-to-day -day life of someone in a high fantasy world would look like. We've all kind of fantasized, and let's be perfectly honest, about Lord of the Rings. Um, gee, wouldn't that be great? You know, everybody's, you know, all sweetness and light, unless you're the orcs or, or you know, Mountain Doom, but everybody's kind of kind of like their own little place, and nobody really bothers each other, and we all have to kind of come together to go solve a big problem. They do that twice. Not here. This is a place where real problems happen, where money's still important, where politics happen. Every, and every once in a great while, some big magical event happens. The one we're currently dealing with right now is the Night King has broken through the wall. Uh, but as the maesters say, these things kind of come and go, and um, the world kind of moves on. This is what it's like to live in high fantasy, according to George R. R. Martin. Thanks. Hey, Ken. Just calling in with my ideas on what I think is kind of the core meaning or moral to take from Game of Thrones. Uh, in my mind, it's, you know, we, we always talk about the Shades of Grey here as an audience on, on Daily Thrones, and Shades of Grey being such a, a constant theme and a, a very important theme in the show. Um, I, I personally believe that uh, at its 
core as far as moral goes, we are to take this lesson of that not everything is black and white. We we as people need to be willing to see the gray area and everybody to understand everything. Um, and I think that that is ever more prevalent in the world that we live in now. A world of extreme, uh, you know, it's, it's either one way or the other. There's, there's no gray area these days. And I think that that is a very important message for us all to take from this show. So um, that was just my thoughts on it. So thanks for taking the call and have a great night. All right, we got some more here on the themes of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. And I also want to correct myself. I, I gave credit to, to Sir Thomas Atoll for the original call. One of our regular callers here was actually Vic, another one of our emerging regular callers, with this great call yesterday about the theme of the, of the story, the core of the story. What, what, is, uh, what is being taught here? So uh, Kevin, Eric, and Thomas with their takes on it, too. Kevin has the idea of, hey, this is a roadmap for how to live in high fantasy. George R. R. Martin's given us the theme of how to survive in this world, something we've all probably, if you've been in this fandom, get daydreamed every now and then. What would I do? Like I said, I'd go to the Night's Watch. So uh, that's an interesting take on the theme. And I like what Eric is saying about maybe the theme, in part, is about being noble and good can sometimes lead you down the wrong path, like, you know, to death. And is that the death you want? Are noble deaths what you need? Uh, is that okay? Kind of painting uh, a different kind of picture of what it's like to do right in this world, which ties into Sir Thomas's theme about the gray areas and how it teaches us maybe to look at things and people in our own lives and in the real world from, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi, a certain point of view. Jamie Lannister was the guy you hated. Cersei Lannister is the woman you hated. Then you start to learn, and maybe you still don't like Cersei. Maybe she's still the bad person, but you can see her point of view. You look at the wildlings different now. They're the free folk to you if you follow along Jon Snow's story. You see that uh, Danny is the great breaker of chains, but some of the lessons she's learned has taught you how to rule, taught you what it means to rule, taught you what truly freedom is. When she is in uh, Marine and frees the slaves and that great scene on the show of the, of the slave who was a teacher saying, I had purpose, I had identity, and it was his choice to kind of go back to that. And that, that is an interesting, uh, interesting concept that it taught Danny to look at things differently as well and be open to other people's desires and, and goals and, and that sometimes what is always right probably still is right overall, but it – it is, is sometimes different than what you think it is. It's, it's complicated. The world's complicated. And Game of Thrones is complicated. And I like that idea. That's what Eric is saying about, hey, uh, you, sometimes being noble can get you in the wrong, the, the wrong thing. I think we all agree that being noble is probably still the thing we'd want to do. We'd want to be Ned Stark. We want to be Jon Snow. But do you learn to play the game? And is life messy enough that you're okay in order to surf that wave of messy, are you okay climbing into the gray areas yourself? And then if you are, maybe your friend will look at you differently, which is the lesson Thomas is talking about. And this is all part of a roadmap. You see, it all ties together. It's all tying together. Keep it going. If you have a take on those theories about the main theme of Game of Thrones or the ones I talked about yesterday about the underdogs, let me know. Call in. I want to hear from all you guys. This is your spot, your one-stop spot. Well, all right, there's other places, but I appreciate you guys joining me here on Daily Thrones as we wait for Season 8, as we wait for more news about the prequels. It's going to be a lot of stuff talking about, a lot of stuff to talk about here 
for Game of Thrones and Daily Thrones is where I hope you guys come to discuss that because your voice is just as powerful as my voice, as I always say. All right, guys, more later. Talk to you then.